have your Bible tonight, I want to encourage you to turn with me uh, in the Scriptures to the book of Joshua chapter 3. The book of Joshua chapter number 3 in the Scriptures tonight. And we sang about victory in Jesus, and really that's the heartbeat of the message that I want to bring to you tonight. We also sang the song, I want that mountain. And that really speaks to the message that we are going to be considering tonight because we're going to be dealing with the children of Israel crossing over into Canaan's land and entering into all that God had promised to them. And I believe that it is important for us to see the lesson about where God desires to lead us. Where God desires to lead us. And I want you to know that where God desires to lead you and to lead me tonight is really characterized by the term, the land of milk and honey. The land of milk and honey. And uh, we're going to take a look and, and see that that's more than just a cliche. It's something that God really desires for us to live. And so... In Joshua chapter 3 tonight, the Bible says here, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim, and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass, after three days, that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Father God, I pray that tonight as we Consider the truth of the Word that You would speak to our hearts. Help us to see the application for us through this great passage of Scripture. This we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. I believe that we must see that what God is leading His people to, the land of Canaan, is something more than just a metaphor. It's something... Uh, more than just a symbol of heaven, and it really is not a symbol of heaven, although songwriter writers uh, down through the years have tried to use um, Canaan as a picture of heaven, and it is not. Because in Canaan, there was suffering. In Canaan, there was work to be done. In Canaan, there was war to be fought. In Canaan... There were struggles and there were tears. There were challenges. And so Canaan could never characterize heaven because heaven will be beautiful. It will be perfect. There'll be no night there. There'll be no suffering. There'll be no labor. We will be entered into our eternal rest. And there'll be no more battles to be fought. There'll be no more Wars to be won. There'll be no heartache, no sorrow, for God will have wiped away all tears from our eyes. And so, let us kind of dispel from our thinking the idea that somehow Canaan is representative of heaven. It is not. Canaan, rather, is a picture of the victorious Christian life that is possible to the person who chooses to live by faith. At every juncture in the book of Joshua that we see victories being won, new ground being conquered, it was only accomplished as they exercised faith in what God said. We know that the Bible says in Romans 10.17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. These folks had known for 40 years what God had promised to them, and their fathers had refused 
to obey God and take a step of faith. And at Kadesh Barnea, 40 years prior to this, they could have crossed over Jordan and gone into the land of victory, Canaan's land. But they listened to the naysayers. They listened to the ten evil spies that brought back the evil report. And instead of taking God at His word, and listening to Joshua and Caleb who simply believed God, they turned back in unbelief. And the Bible reveals to us that as a consequence, because of their unbelief, that they were relegated to wandering in the wilderness of sin for the space of 40 years. Now 40 in biblical numerology is always uh, typical of judgment. We think about 40 days and 40 nights uh, of, uh, of rain coming upon the earth and, and where that Noah was in the ark. It was God judging the earth. Here we find 40 years of wandering in the wilderness of sin. God was judging the people for their lack of obedience to the Lord and their lack of faith. We find where that uh, the Lord uh, Himself wrestled uh, before he started his early, earthly ministry and, and fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights and afterward was tempted of the devil. And it wasn't that he was under judgment, but it was uh, something that was epic. And, and 40 is consequential of testing and, and of judgment. And that was what was going on here. And what we find is that God desired for His people to go into the land of milk and honey. And I want to tell you something that that is what is available to the people of God today that would simply choose to live by faith. I believe that God, throughout the entire Pentateuch, prior to their crossing over, used word pictures in, in words to graphically portray what He wanted to give to the people. He he reminded them that it was a place where there were clusters of grapes, the grapes of Eskel, where that uh, the the grapes themselves would have been the size of a golf ball, and and what a wonderful thing that that would have been. There was milk, in other words, there were enough domesticated animals there to sustain their families and to provide some nurturing to them and health to their bones, and and then also there was honey which was the indication that it would be pleasant and sweet. Not just sustain them physically, but it was something that they would really enjoy. It was something that God had prepared for them. He, he spoke of, of the olives that would be there and the mountains wherein was, was ore that they could uh, mine and that they could make implements of farming and of war if need be and things that would be helpful to them and so everything that they would ever need and many of the things that they would ever want was just right there across the river in front of them. They'd encamped at Shittim and now Joshua is calling the people of the Lord together. And I want you to know that God had a plan and the plan was for the people to follow the priests as they crossed over Jordan and as the Levites called unto the people and gave them instructions. We, we notice the passage, and what we see here is that the uh, Levites uh, said, follow after the Ark of the Covenant, and it says in verse 4, yet there should be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. And so, uh, it was going to be quite a space that they would follow behind the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant... Uh, was typical of the presence of the Lord among them. The Lord dwelt between uh, the, uh, the wings of the cherubim on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, and there uh, uh, He met with man, and it was the presence of the Lord with them. And what the priests and the Levites said to the people was, look, I want you to stand 2,000 cubits behind and I want you to watch where that ark goes, and I want you to follow it. Now, I've often thought, why in the world did they have to follow so far behind? Why was it that the Levites were instructing the people to 
to let the ark of the Lord go out ahead and then follow along so far behind. Do you know, I begin to think about my own life and how that there have been many times where in my zeal to get where I felt like I wanted to go, I got out ahead of God. That somehow I, in my haste, wanted to outrun wherever God might be leading me. I thought I was going to wind up. The Lord had another destination in mind altogether. I think about when I was in Bible college thinking that somehow I was going to wind up within 12 months in in South Korea as a missionary, and God had other plans for me altogether. And rather than winding up in South Korea, I wound up in the South, but in Texas, helping to start a church. And, and you see, I was starting to run out and to get out ahead of the Lord and, and not follow behind the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And yet, uh, the Levites said to the people, stay behind and watch where uh, the Lord is going, and follow the Lord. Follow the presence of the Lord. Don't get out ahead of God. Don't run ahead thinking you know where to go. You know what's best for you. God knows exactly how to lead you in the right path, and He's the one that will take you to the destination that you desire. And so, we find that there was instructions given, and and uh, time would not allow us tonight to read all of the verses. I want to really encourage you to read chapters 3, 4, and 5 whenever you have a, 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 a spare 20 minutes. Uh, it'll be a blessing to your heart. But I think that it's important for us to notice that the people were commanded to go. And this time, when the Lord parted the waters, it was different. Because when they crossed over 40 years prior at the Red Sea... We know that the Lord had Moses raise the rod of God high above uh, his head, and God parted the waters, and the people walked across on dry ground. This time was different. This time, the priest, the priests had to put their feet in the water. Now, what the Bible tells us in this passage is that the in verse number 15, as they bear the ark, uh, as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks at the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon an heap, very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zaratan, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over. Now, what the Bible tells us is that yes, they passed over on dry ground. But you know what they had to do first? The priests that bore the ark of the Lord had to get their feet wet. The river was at flood stages. It was the white waters of the Jordan at that time of year. They were overflowing their banks. The, the water was running rapidly. And there was no doubt in anybody's mind that if they just waded out into the water, they would be swept away. That their cattle and their children would be swept away from them. And it was a fearful thing. And so they had to trust and obey what God had said. And so God said to the priest, Take the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and go out, but you've got to get your feet wet. In other words, what he is saying is, what's going to be required today is what you failed to exercise 40 years ago at Kadesh Barnea. What's required today is a dynamic faith. Not prayerless, sight living that says, I'll go over when the waters abate. I'll go over when it's just a trickle uh, after the summertime. I'll go over uh, when I think it's safer. No, when God says go, we better get ready to go. The fact of the matter is that they had to exercise a dynamic faith. And sometimes it's a little bit fearful when we live a life of faith. But I'm going to tell you, it'll never be boring. It'll never be boring when we choose to live by faith. 
I'll tell you this, I can't always tell you where God is going to meet the needs from. And sometimes I get a little nervous, worried about, God, where's it coming from? I don't see it. And you know, God just reminds me, listen, I've got this, son. Just calm down. This is going to be okay. Now there, I've got it. And you know what? God inevitably demonstrates that He is God and I am not. And if I simply trust Him by faith, rather than living by sight, He'll see me all the way across to the other side. Now as we read through this, we, we realize that they passed over Jordan on dry ground. And in chapter 4, what we discover is that Joshua commanded uh, the men of Israel to build a memorial. So he, there was a representative from each tribe that passed over that as they went through the midst of Jordan on dry ground, they were called upon to carry out of the depths of what it would have been the Jordan River a stone, a big rock that would be used in building an altar to the Lord. And, and a representative from each of the twelve tribes of Israel carried a stone out of the uh, water, uh, out of the, uh, the, the, the river bed there. And, and they took him and they built an altar unto the Lord. And then Joshua said, what, we, what I want you to do next is I want you to take and I want you to build a second altar of stones in the middle of Jordan on the riverbed right there. And the Bible tells us that that is there to this day. That is there to this day. So what we find is as they passed over, they were to build two memorials. And I think that one of the things that we understand is this. The only way that we can get from earth to heaven to the place that we so desire is by faith. Now, I told you Canaan is not a picture of heaven, but there is an application here. The only way to bridge the gap and to get from here to there is by faith. And what we see in this passage are two memorials that were built, and they are typical of two other memorials that I can think of. And they are the cross and the empty tomb. You see, what the cross allowed us to do was to, by faith, have life. To enter into the life that God promised that we could have if we would simply believe Him by faith. And what we see in the empty tomb is that we can have not just the forgiveness of sin, but we could have the abundance of life that's provided and the power that's provided through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, those two memorials hearken to two more memorials that would stand to represent what had taken place. And in order to pass over, these people had to follow the leadership of God, not what they thought was best. I'll guarantee you that there was not a rational person in the whole camp of Israel that thought, this is a great idea to try to cross the River Jordan with our kids when it's at flood stages. Nobody thought that was a great idea. But listen, they were not to follow their own instincts. They were not to follow what they thought. They were to follow what God said. And that's the only way we're going to enter into victory. is as we determine to follow God. Secondly, we notice the picture. And in Joshua chapter 5, we find where that the people are preparing to conquer the first city that we know they came to in Jericho. And Joshua is encouraging the people, but there was something that would take place prior to that. And as the Lord is preparing them, we see in verse number 6, the Bible says, "...the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness." till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed 
because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord sware that He would not show them the land, which the Lord sware unto their fathers that He would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. A land that floweth with milk and honey. I want you to not only see the passage, but notice the picture. God is giving them a picture of that which He has promised unto them. I believe that what He's doing is He's casting a vision for them in their mind's eye to see what it is that He's leading them to. And you know what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs? Where there is no vision, the people perish. You know, God has given us a vision of the heavenly. He he, uh, translated John and He translated Paul into the heavenlies and He gave them the heavenly vision. And we have that recorded for us so that we can have the hope of what is laid up in store for us. And we know that others have seen it and they've described it and we can have mental images. And I'll promise you this, that whatever the image is that you have in your mind of heaven, that it doesn't even begin to explain the majesty and the wonder, the grandeur that we will experience there. Perhaps it'll be like when the queen of Sheba went to visit Solomon having heard about all of his wealth and all of the uh, the wonder of his uh, kingdom. And when she was there, as she prepared to leave, when asked about her impression of Solomon's kingdom, she said these words, The half has not been told. It is fully twice again better than anybody ever described it. It is so majestic and so wonderful that it defied anyone's human explanation. I'm going to tell you something. God wants us to have a vision of a victorious life that He's leading us to. And, you know, in my mind's eye, uh, there are things that I see. I see my family serving the Lord. I see my grandchildren Serving the Lord. I, I see my child, my daughters going down the aisle to take the hand of young men that will love and honor God and will marry them and raise a family that would also love and honor God. And in my mind, I have a vision of what God wants to lead us to. And if we simply will trust and obey, we can find the land of milk and honey that He promises to us. I, I believe that God wants you to have a vision of what He's leading you to. And He's giving you indications in His Word here over and over again throughout the Pentateuch. We hear the words, the land of milk and honey, that there's olives there, that there's ore in the mountains, that it's going to be a beautiful land, a land of bounty, and you're going to enter into places that have already been tilled, fields that have been planted, homes that have already been built, animals that have already been domesticated. And I have prepared these things for you, God is telling them. And He's giving them a vision of it. You know, I believe in my mind that in, a, in, in, in the fifth largest city in America that God wants to do a mighty work right here. I believe that there are people that need the Lord in great measure right here in Maricopa County. And I believe that God would like to do a great and mighty work through the Freeway Baptist Church in Phoenix, Arizona. And if we could just get a glimpse of what it is that God is leading us to and lay a hold of that and believe by faith that God is leading us to this. To this. Not, not getting out ahead of God, but following after the leadership of the Lord and by faith putting one foot in front of the other. And sometimes it means getting our feet wet and being a little nervous, but but God is giving us a vision of what can be if we would just simply, by faith, follow His leadership. And I would tell you that in verse 6 of chapter 5, we read that that faithless generation, they were doomed in the wilderness. They never saw the land of victory. And you know, I believe that a faithless people will never go to the place of fulfillment in the Christian life. It's only achievable by faith, depending implicitly upon the Lord. And God gave them a vision of that to encourage them and to infuse them with hope so that they could understand that God was leading them to something good. All throughout the time of the wilderness, they complained against God because uh, they didn't like the provisions that He gave them. They didn't like the places He was leading them. They didn't like the manna that was really sustaining them. And it was, it was good to eat and it was good for their health. And it was a picture of God. And, and, and they weren't exactly happy with that. The fact is that they wandered around because they simply 
complained and murmured against the plan of God when they could have had something that was so wonderful 40 years before. And I would tell you this, that perhaps there are those that will never see it because of their lack of faith, but I believe that this generation and this church and these people can say, by faith, I can see what God can do. Um, I, I tell you, um, I, I recently spoke to a man who had attended our church and, and he said, I'm, I'm really amazed about one thing. And I said, well, what is that? He said, that, that there's not 5,000 people in this church. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is here. The preaching is biblical. The singing is inspiring. The people are friendly. And God's hand is all over this place. I just don't know why there's not 5,000 people here. And you know, I thought, you need to hold on to that. Because God has allowed me to see that. And by faith, I believe that He's going to lead us to the land of milk and honey. A place not only that will provide sustenance, that will be sweet to eat, and something that we can enjoy, and something for generations to come. To feed the babies when they come along, we'll have milk, and we'll have honey, and we'll have all of the things to sustain life. I believe that we need to see this, that... There was a call to purification. To purification, we see the passage that they made and, and the picture that He gave, but then the purification that was required. You see, in chapter 5, there was a call for the men who had wandered in the wilderness, who were uh, at, at the time of the rebellion against the Lord, beneath the age of accountability, who had now come of age in the wilderness, uh, they had to be circumcised. And the Bible tells us there that the time, uh, that time in verse 2 it says, The Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all of the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness. So those that were coming out of the wilderness of sin, they had to be circumcised. And now, that was a picture of the putting off of the flesh. That was a picture of God's requirement and His setting them apart for a particular purpose. When they went into the land, the men were commanded not to take wives of the Canaanite women. And you know, uh, there was a continual reminder to them in their flesh that they were to keep themselves holy and to keep themselves unto the Lord. It was a reminder. It was the putting off of the sin of the flesh and what God required before they entered into the victory, before they went to Jericho and saw the walls come down, before the conquest at Ai, before they saw those farms that were already tilled and homes that were already built, those animals that were already domesticated, before they saw those hills that were full of ore wherein they could make whatever implements they needed to make for their families, before Caleb could say, I want that mountain they had to sanctify themselves unto the Lord and determine, I want to be pure before God. And in this we see a beautiful picture of Jesus because uh, we find that they encamped at Gilgal and the word Gilgal, the place Gilgal, the meaning of the word is a rolling. And at that point, the rolling of the sins of Egypt and of the wilderness it rolled away from them. It was removed from them. And it's a beautiful picture of Jesus who through His flesh took in, bore in His body the sins of all mankind. Why? So that they would be rolled away from us. And uh, in, in children's church we sing that song, don't we? 
Rolled away, rolled away, rolled away. Every burden of my heart rolled away. Rolled away, rolled away, rolled away. Every burden of my heart rolled away. Every sin had to go. Neath the crimson flow. Hallelujah. Rolled away, rolled away, rolled away. Every burden of my heart rolled away. And you see what we find here. Is a beautiful picture of Jesus. Do you know, every story in the Bible is about Jesus. Did you know that? It all speaks of Jesus. And here we see in this purification, the Lord is the one that through His flesh being torn, we were made holy. For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now I want to tell you something. What they were doing here, from a human, common sense perspective, made no sense at all. They were getting ready to go to do battle against the Canaanite people. They were getting ready to go to a people that had armies, that had swords, and they had archers, and they had cities that had walls around them. And so the last thing that a person wants to do is have surgery three days before you go to war. Now, uh, Brother Max had some surgery last week. I'm pretty sure that uh, after his Monday surgery, he wasn't ready to charge hell with a squirt gun on Thursday morning. He probably needed some extra time to rest. And and you might look at this and say, you know, it's crazy really to think that you're going to take all the men of war, all of the men that would carry a sword, a spear, or a bow and arrow, and you're going to perform surgery on them in a very tender place. They're going to be sore. They're going to hurt. Look. God put them in a position of vulnerability before Him, which required them to depend upon the strength of the Lord. And so, this was a place of cleansing where they put away the flesh and they had to depend entirely upon God. They couldn't say, I'm at 100% physically to go ahead and charge the gates of Jericho. No, it was God that was going to deliver that victory and God put them in a place of total dependence upon Him. And my friends, you might be in a place where you feel like you have been rendered crippled or you've had surgery three days before battle and you You don't know how you're going to have the strength to prevail. God has promised the victory by faith, not by your strength, not by your reasoning. He didn't say, I'm going to build a bridge across Jordan. No, He said, you've got to get your feet wet, Levi. It may be scary. You may not know what's going to happen, but put your feet in that water and trust me. And now He said, look, you may not understand this. This may sound that it's counterintuitive and you may not like it, but what I'm going to do do is I'm going to perform surgery on everybody and they're going to be in a weakened state. And it's so that they would know that it is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. And as you trust Me, then the victory comes. Canaan is a picture of the victorious Christian life that is only possible as we place our faith in trust in a God that can do anything but fail. We see that Gilgal was a place of cleansing. And my friends, if we would take new ground for Christ, if we would enter into the land of milk and honey, we cannot go with the filth and the stench of sin upon our lives. God is calling us to our own Gilgal, where we will sanctify and consecrate ourselves unto the Lord God and enter into all that He calls us to, having been set apart as He, therefore, which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Joshua called the people and said, I want you to sanctify yourselves unto the Lord, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And this was an act of sanctification. It was an exercise in vulnerability before God, because the only way victory would come would be by the hand of God. And then when it did, the only one that would receive credit for it, was the one that brought the walls of Jericho down. The Lord God Himself. 
What I'm saying tonight is that God wants His people to be holy. And one of the things that concerns me today about the postmodern church that we're seeing all about us represented in Christendom is the fact that people don't seem to have a concern about dealing with sin in their life. It's, it's come as you are and leave as you were and make sure that you give a little and, and, uh, and just enjoy the liberty that's yours in Christ. And my friends, I'm going to tell you something. I enjoy the liberty that's mine in Christ. But you know what that says? I'm now free to choose. Under the law, I was forced to do it or die. Now I have freedom to do it because of love. And love is a more powerful force than the law could ever exert over any man. I want you to know that Jesus proves that to us with every single day and He proved that by demonstrating no greater love on the cross of Calvary when He overcame the force of the law that condemned all mankind and He overcame it because of love when He fulfilled His own righteous demand against humanity by taking in his own body the sin of the world and by love overcame what was separating us from almighty God and so I want you to notice today that he's calling us to be holy if we would see the land of milk and of honey I'm going to say this we notice not only the passage and and the picture the vision God gave and and the purification the call to holiness but we see the provision, the provision. In chapter 5 and verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal. Unto this day, that means a rolling, the sin was rolled away. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. As we we read down through, what we discover is this. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. We notice the provision They went into a land, and for 40 years they didn't have to farm. For 40 years they didn't have to forage. For 40 years they didn't have to fish. For 40 years they didn't have to worry about their next meal. God said, I'm going to provide it. And every day, they would receive manna from heaven. God gave it to them. And now they came to a place where the manna did not fall. But God didn't forsake them. He led them to the land of milk and honey. And from that moment forward, they would live off of the land that God gave them. When they went in there, what they did was they moved onto farms where they didn't have to till the soil and plant the seeds the crops were standing in the field. It was the time of harvest. That's what the Bible tells us. You think of this. I, I, I often think about when God called our family back in the 70's to go to Korea as missionaries. And uh, as we were making preparation to go, there was a missionary that had been on the field and they were experiencing some health issues and they they had to return home from the mission field to the States. And, and uh, that missionary knew that my dad was going and contacted him and said, all of the things that we had in Korea are in crates there, and I'll sell them to you for a small price. I can't bring them home. Uh, the appliances are for, for that Asian current. It's not going to match the current here in the U.S. And... and uh, and, and there's appliances there, and everything that you would need to set up a household, it's right there, you can have it. And so sight unseen, Dad paid the missionary for all the provisions. And when we got there with four children, we found that that missionary had had four children. There were 
four bicycles in the crates. There was beds enough for everyone in the family. There was a sofa and a love seat and there was a washer and a dryer and there was a refrigerator and everything that we needed, God provided. And that's exactly what the people of Israel experienced. God provided for their salvation and God provided for their every need. And then God provided them victory in Jericho as you know. It was the Lord that brought the walls down. It wasn't the strength of the people pushing against them. It was the mighty hand of God that brought them down. We noticed the provision. And when we move forward in faith, believing God, holding fast to the vision that He has given us, and I'm going to tell you something, He's going to see to it that you have everything you need. And then after you have the milk and the corn, God will say, you know what, I'll give you some honey to put on the bread. Because I want your life here to be sweet. You know, I, I like that verse in, in 1 Timothy that says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God which giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That's exactly what He did to people that would just put one foot in front of the other, following God by faith. Lastly, there was the preparation. The Bible tells us there in Joshua chapter 1 that the people had to make ready. You see, Joshua told them to consecrate themselves and, and then that God was going to uh, lead them over. We know in verse number 13, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the Lord, the host of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. You see, Joshua was not dealing with just any old angel. Because had it been any old angel, guess what? He wouldn't have had to have taken his shoes off. But the fact that that was a hallowed in a holy place indicated this. That this is what is known as a Christophany. A pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. This is the captain of their salvation. The Lord of hosts Himself. Who's meeting with Joshua. Preparing him to go over into all that He has promised for them to have. And you know what? At this point in time, Joshua said, are you on our side? Or, 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 or what? And, and he said, no, I'm not. But as the captain of the Lord of hosts. Look, sometimes we're worried about getting people on our side. And what we need to do is get on God's side. We need to start following the captain of our salvation. You see, these people had to surrender the control of their lives they had to be willing to do something they were afraid of in crossing over. They had to be willing to do something that made them vulnerable. Then they had to be willing to do something improbable and what they thought was on the border of being foolish, walking around a walled city and allowing people that stood on that, on, on that wall of that city to look down and they could have taken their life at any moment and yet that's what God said do. They had to prepare themselves, to sanctify themselves. As Joshua said in Joshua 3 and verse number 5, where he said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Listen, why do they have to do that? The Bible says in verse 4, Come not near unto that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. You know, I'm going to tell you something. To have something that you've never had, you have to do something that you've never done. 
to take ground that you've never tread upon. You've got to go somewhere that you've never been before. And sometimes it may feel unfamiliar. But Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves. And when you do, you set yourself apart for the Lord. Prepare for this. Get ready. Because what God is going to do is wonders among you. My friends, I want to say this. If we just catch hold of the vision of what God could do, and we determine to be a people of faith, and we sanctify ourselves unto the Lord, we will see God do wonders among us. The Lord wanted to give them the land of milk and honey 40 years before, but because of their unbelief and self-will, they never entered in. And God calls people today to simply trust and obey. And if we would, milk and honey would not be a cliche. It would be our reality. I wonder, if you had the choice between the wilderness of sin or the land that flows with milk and honey, which would it be? You say, well, that's a no-brainer, Pastor. It's the land of milk and honey. And my friend, get ready. Begin to live by faith. Begin to prepare your heart to enter into all that God has prepared for you. And the Lord will do wonders among you. Father God, we thank You for the promise that we have of heaven. The beautiful picture that You have given us. The vision of the heavenly. And God, I pray that we may hold fast to the hope that You've set before us in that vision. Lord, help us to sanctify ourselves unto You and trust You to do wonders among us that apart from You would never be accomplished. Lord, help us to be people of faith. For this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Tonight I just want to say, if you're listening to this sermon, perhaps on sermon audio, and you're not absolutely certain that if you died tonight, that you'd go to heaven to be with the Lord, I want you to listen very carefully. The Gospel is good news and it begins with this message that God loves you. But we understand this. We're all sinners. And our sin has separated us from a holy God. And because of your sin and mine, we deserve to suffer the punishment for sin. The Bible says we're all sinners. And, and because of that, sin has been passed unto all men. And the wages of sin is death. And that death that's spoken of is a separation from the Lord in a place of suffering called hell. But a loving God sends no one to hell. They have to choose to reject His salvation. And then they relegate themselves there. Jesus loved you so much He didn't want you to go. And so He did everything necessary for you to escape the pains of hell and to experience the joys of heaven. He died on the cross of Calvary to pay the price for your sin and mine. And so, He offered His own precious and holy blood, the very blood of God, upon the mercy seat to atone for your sins and mine, not just to cover it up, but to remove it from us, like we sang about tonight. And my friends, because He has done that, we can be forgiven of the sin debt that we owed. And because of the fact that Jesus was buried and He rose again, He now offers us eternal life in heaven with Him as a free gift if we will simply believe Him and receive it. And my friend, tonight if you know you're a sinner, and you know that because you're a sinner you deserve to suffer the punishment in a place called hell, but you realize that Jesus loved you so much that He didn't want you to suffer that fate and He died in your place, and now He offers you forgiveness and a home in heaven with Him forever. If you would simply believe Him and ask Him for that forgiveness and a home in heaven. If you understand that simply as I've explained it, if tonight you will ask the Lord for His gift of forgiveness and heaven, He would give it to you. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. And so tonight, if you desire to be saved, forgiven of all your sins, and sure of a home in heaven, I want you to pray along with me. Now, my prayer will not save you. But if the words of this prayer reflect what you believe now in your heart, and it is your heart's desire, then the Lord has promised that you would be saved. Would you pray with me this simple prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I am a sinner and that I cannot save myself. I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin and to save me so that I may be forgiven and spend forever in heaven with Him. I'm now trusting in Jesus and Jesus only to save me and take me to heaven when I die. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Enable me to live for thee. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My friend, if you just prayed that prayer on the authority of God's Word, you're now saved, forgiven of all sin. When Jesus hung on the cross, you were not even born yet. So He paid for every sin that you would ever commit, past, present, and future, in advance. And so if tomorrow you should fall in sin, that one is taken care of too. And what God has given you is everlasting life, and that means it never ends. And so, if you've made that decision, I want to encourage you to, to just email us through Sermon Audio or through our website at freewaybaptist.org and tell us about your decision. We'd love to send you a Bible. We'd love to send you some information about this Christian life to help you to begin to grow in your newfound faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving me the privilege of sharing the greatest story that's ever been told with you. For those of you that know that you're heaven-bound, I want to just challenge you to think about the land of milk and honey, to go to the place where God is leading you. Bye.